Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. On this week's episode, you'll hear from Katie Pierce. Katie is a first-generation farmer who lives in northern Wisconsin with her husband and kiddos where they raise grass-fed, grass-finished beef and pastured eggs and sell direct to consumer. We also get to hear Katie chat about how she started and got into foraging. So it's a pretty interesting conversation and something that I think you guys will all enjoy. Before we get to today's episode, we're going to go over the review of the week. And if you guys caught last week's episode, then you heard me tell you that I want to hear all of your reviews from all of the platforms. So today I took the review from Facebook. So over on Wild Rose Farmer page on Facebook, there's a review from my friend Carrie Sharp. It says, awesome podcast, great listening and learning. Thank you so much, Carrie. So if you guys would like to leave a rating and review for the show, head on over to Apple, Facebook, or leave a comment in today's show notes. And I have some exciting news to share with you guys. The patron gang and I have hit our first milestone ever over on Patreon. So this is a milestone that helps me cover the minimum monthly costs associated with putting this very podcast on the air. As a thank you to my patrons, I did a draw for a Rural Woman podcast t-shirt and the winner was Tiffany. So congrats, girl. I can't wait to see you rocking your Deep Roots t-shirt. So if you've never taken a look into becoming a patron or this is something that you've been thinking about for some time, now is a great time to head on over and check it out because I have been busy working on the back end of things and have updated the existing tiers to add some more goodies and incentive for you guys and to add brand new tiers of support. So your support that I receive through Patreon helps ensure to keep the amazing stories of women in agriculture coming through your speakers each and every week. So for more information, you can head on over to wildrosefarmer.com slash Patreon and discover how you can become a patron through Patreon. And without further ado, my friends, let's get to this episode with Katie Pierce. Hello, Katie. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Caitlin? I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast today. Thank you for having me. This is pretty cool. I am excited to talk to you. You and I have been going back and forth for a couple months now trying to find the perfect time to sit down and chat with one another. And I am so glad we are here today doing this. (laughs) Yes, we are making it happen. Yes. So Katie, for those of my listeners who are unfamiliar with you, give us a little bit about who you are and where you're from. Well, I am Katie Pierce. Currently, we live in northern Wisconsin. We're about an hour and a half from the UP, an hour and a half north of Green Bay, so kind of in the middle. I'm originally from Gurney, Illinois, though, so this is pretty new and different for me, this life in the woods. And our family, we have three children. Emma is our oldest, and then Eddie and Henry. And we are currently homeschooling them, but we are open to whatever direction it needs to take us. And my husband, Ben, he works full-time at Silver Birch Ranch as the equine director. 
So he takes care of the horses and leads trail rides for campers all year long in the Nicolay National Forest. But on the side, we have a grass-fed, grass-finished beef business. That's like a tongue twister. And we started about five years ago, more officially raising grass-finished beef. We were doing it more on the side before that. And we have dabbled in all sorts of things. We've done hogs. We've done sheep, meat chickens. We've kind of tried our hand at different things and we've really settled on the grass finished beef as our main focus and what we truly enjoy doing and really see growing and advancing down the road. So we also garden. We try to be as self-sufficient as possible. We like to brew our own beer. That is a fun thing to try. We're kind of those type of people who you say, want to try this? We will do it and we'll give it a shot. And if it fails, it fails. But we can say we did it. So I'm really hoping the beer thing works out because that sounds delicious. <laughs> the beer thing has worked out quite well. <laughs> that is one thing we will continue to do and really, really enjoy it. So good. that is an interesting topic to go down. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a whole other podcast episode about beer brewing with Katie. I guess so. Sure. Yeah. Why not? You know? <laughs> Like I said, we're up for whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you guys get your start in agriculture? Did you grow up on a farm? You said your husband works with the equine. Did he grow up with horses? So Ben, he grew up around agriculture. He grew up down in Iowa County, Wisconsin, which is a pretty big agricultural community. A lot of dairy farms now they've turned more beef, but he grew up working on a dairy farm and then as he got older, he started riding and training horses and taking trail rides into the state parks of Wisconsin. And he just is kind of one of those people. He has a natural knack for animals. You know, he likes people. We have friends, but animals are just better sometimes. So he grew up in it. And when we got married, he wanted to like have a huge farm and I did not grow up in agriculture. I grew up in a suburban area. I've always loved animals. When I was young, I wanted to be a vet. But, you know, when you're eight versus 18, looking at college bills, you know, that'll fly out pretty quick. So when we got married, I was all up for having animals, but it was quite daunting. So we turned down quite a few farm properties and bought something a little bit smaller. We have some acreage, but nothing huge, just so that I could kind of get accommodated to the thought of having more critters around. So we started small. He, several years, can we have chickens? Can we have chickens? Can we have chickens? And I kept saying, no, no, birds are dirty. No, no. And finally I said, yes, he built the coop. And then it was just all, I could say downhill, but I'm going to go with uphill because it has really been an enjoyable experience overall. Then we've gotten into hogs and We've had some llamas. Our biggest thing is the beef, but we've had ferrets. I don't know. So basically, I've always liked animals, but my start in agriculture was just my husband being like, hey, I love animals. This is what we're doing. I want to raise beef. You can be on the sidelines or you can be all in. I'm good with whatever you decide. And that's kind of how it started. 
And now Nothing you're too glamorous. <laughs> no, and now you're all in. It's awesome. Yes. You know, it took me a few years and I think some of it was we got married and then we started having children. And I think because I was getting used to, you know, when you don't see a horse all the time or a beef cow or even a dairy cow, they are large animals. And you have to really get used to that and you have to really learn how to read them and trust them and have that mutual respect for each other. And since I had tiny babies and I was pregnant and whatever, I was not quite there. But probably when we had been married about five or six years, I thought, you know, I, I kind of like these animals. They're very soothing. It's very rewarding to do this and to feed them and, you know, and then have the end product in your freezer. And so that kind of kept snowballing from there. So Right. And I think it's funny, like I obviously come from outside of agriculture as well. And for people who grew up in it and are just in it, I don't know if they realize how intimidating these animals can be in the first place. Like you said, they are so big. And for them to be around little people, it's like, oh my goodness, like somebody's going to get hurt. But like you said about the respecting their space and respecting the animals and everything it all eventually works out, but it is definitely intimidating to begin with. It truly is. Yeah, our kids, I'm like, you guys have no idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> Especially my daughter, Emma, you know, she drags around her little fair cow and I'm like, that thing would squash you like a bug. Like, <laughs> do you right. have any idea? Like, she's like, come along. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I even think about like, I'm six feet tall. And by the time that taco got to be about six to seven months old, she was pretty big. So yes, I'm just like, they're strong. Yes. <laughs> and I see all of these little 4-H kids. I'm like, holy cow, like good for you guys. Those things could squish you. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. I don't think growing up in agriculture, you just don't realize that. That's okay. I think it's great. If that's your start, that is fantastic. It right. really is. I'm jealous of all of the 4-H kids. Like I didn't get to be in 4-H and I'm a little jealous about I it know. now, but that's a topic for another time again, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no trophies for you, Kate. Nope. <laughs> if you've been listening to the Real Woman podcast, then you've heard me talk all about my favorite natural deodorant from KL Skin Naturals. But did you know that they're more than just a deodorant company? My friend Leah has amazing foot butters, yummy lip balms, dreamy skin creams, and has recently introduced brand new handmade soaps into the mix. Clean and simple, these handmade bars of soap lather richly and leave skin feeling super soft. Pure kaolin clay and activated charcoal gently cleanse away toxins. And the rustic hand-cut bars are long-lasting and smell amazing. So head on over to klskindeodorant.com and use promo code WILDROSE10 to save 10% off your next order. So why did you guys choose to go the grass-fed, grass-finished beef? Well, in all transparency, the year Ben bought the first bunch of small, he bought a small herd of Scottish Highlands from someone else. And that year was... 2012. And if I remember correctly, corn prices were really high. And since we had just bought five cattle, which wasn't, it was like on the radar, but you know, those things happen usually faster than you can save money for. So 
we just weren't in a place then to shell out for corn. We were also on the side, we would buy bull calves from the local dairy. And a lot of dairies, you know, they will raise their bull calves on grain. And we had done that in the past, but that year we were like, let's just try. Let's just save some money and raise these animals without corn. And I say we, but really Ben was making all this decision. So we decided to give it a shot and it takes longer, especially since when we were raising just Scottish Highlands and then these, you know, dairy calves, it took a very long time. But once we got one in the freezer and we tried it and we raised another one for another family, they really liked the taste. There's this misconception. And I think sometimes it can still taste this way depending on the quality of hay you're feeding the cattle, but it's dry, it has no flavor, or maybe it tastes too gamey. But if you raise it long enough and with good quality hay, it's not going to taste like that. But a lot of people also have, you know, your palate, if you prefer the taste of corn-fed versus grass-fed, you will taste that difference. So Really, the reason why we started raising grass finish was just for money reasons. And then we realized there was a niche out there. People wanted grass finish beef. So we just kept going. I mean, there's no one really around us that is raising grass finish beef for consumers, not just for themselves. So we kind of filled a void in our area that we didn't know was there. Well, that worked out perfectly then for you. You know, I kind of did. <laughs> and we're very thankful. I mean, we had no idea. Yeah, I don't know. Doors just kind of opened and we just kept walking through and following what consumers wanted. And that's kind of where we just ended up today. I mean, yeah, I don't that know. That I honestly, there's like not a lot of science there. So <laughs> I feel bad saying that, but I'm like, we just followed what God wanted for us. And here we are. So. Yeah, exactly. That worked out perfectly. So it did. what types of challenges have you run into with raising grass-fed and grass-finished beef? You mentioned Ben works full-time. So obviously, you are the one that's at home on the farm with the kids and the cows for most of the day. So what are some of the challenges that you face on a daily basis? So the biggest challenge, so right now it's winter. Really, winter is our downtime. There's not a lot we can do project-wise. So what we've chosen to do instead of feeding them a couple bales every day is we we have 27, this is cows and growing steers right now. We will feed four to six bales and then the kids and I will check on them daily, you know, make sure nobody's sick, nobody's hurt, make sure their water is still running because we have an auto water system. And then... Ben comes and we feed the cows all together. I am not confident in driving the tractor. It's a hand clutch and it's just hard. So I would just rather cut the bales. So really right now, I would not, I mean, obviously there's going to be a challenge, but winter's like an easy-ish routine for us. What gets tricky is in the warmer months. So we rotational graze them. And on the acreage, I'd say there's about, 12, we have 12 different pens that we rotate them through in the summer. So now the kids are getting bigger and they can help. They can help 
we have a like small water trough and we have a whole water line system through all the pastures where I just move the trough and hook it into the water line. But when they were smaller and in the warmer months, since he's working every day, I'm the one to go down. They get moved about every two to three days, depending on the size of the pen. I'm the one to go down and move them and move the trough. And when they were small, that was hard because you have to walk. Our terrain is really rocky. Four wheelers just, it just doesn't work. You know, I'd have usually like a baby on my back, holding one by the hand, barely dragging the other. <laughs> like if anyone drove by, they're probably like, what is that woman doing? So that was really, really hard. That was a tough season to get that done with the kids. But now that they're getting older, they are more helpful and or they will entertain each other while I'm rotating and while I'm checking on everyone. It's never fun when the cows get out and I cannot get Ben, which is why I have kind of trained them to come to the sound of alfalfa cubes in a bucket because one person getting in 27 cows is hard. Our dog that we have is young and he kind of like freaks out and we'll just go after them with no direction. And that is like a disaster. So I would say just all the elements of everything is what's hard. You know, I'm the ringmaster of my own chaos, basically. Absolutely. Is how I are. feel. <laughs> <laughs> that sums it up right there. I feel like you should have a plaque on your desk that says that, Katie. <laughs> yes, I should. My sister actually, she, what did it say? It was like, chaos something it was like a baseball cap like chaos leader I don't know yeah. what I'm like, chaos coordinator that yeah. yes that's exactly <laughs> it I'm like that's me uh-huh okay <laughs> <laughs> well that is a lot of work to do for one person like nonetheless having three little people with you but I'm glad they're to the age now at least they can entertain themselves or help you yes. their way and yeah I mean it's getting better it takes a lot like they are learning last year we had we had to separate our heifers and our cows when they were getting bred and we were showing them how to move the heifers because it was a smaller group they're not as big but even though they're you know in quotes moving them i'm still the one like saying you need to count them all did you hook in the water correctly did you hook up the fence did you plug in the fence so that you know like yes they are helpful but there's so much training that goes into it and I do look forward to the day, you know, you see other people and their kids are driving the track and stuff. And I'm like, I can't wait. I'm going <laughs> to bask in all that glory and it's going to be so awesome. <laughs> so it's a lot of work, but the end goal, you got to keep your eye on the prize. So Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned a little bit before about the taste of grass-fed and finished beef. Are there any other misconceptions that you hear about the meat itself or about raising the cows? I will share this one thing, which actually Annabelle, she shared with me and then I learned it and it's it's called a Masters of Beef Advocacy class. So grass-finished beef on average takes 226 days longer to raise than corn-fed. So depending on the breed of beef cow and or if you're raising grass finish Jersey steers, it's going to take almost a year longer to get to weight. So I think a lot of people don't understand why it's usually more expensive. 
And it's not because the nutrient content is better. I mean, if you look at it side by side, corn fed versus grass fed, you're getting the same nutrients. You're still getting all your protein and your iron and your B12s. It's because it takes a year longer. You know, that's a long time. So it's not because it's better or the nutrient content is better. It just takes longer. So, and like for this year, for example, hay is a lot more expensive because our weather was horrific. So prices for hay are going up. Grass finished beef prices are going up. And it just, that whole marketing numbers game. Right. So I don't know if that's necessarily a misconception, but I think that's a piece of information that people just know. And I wasn't even aware of exact like days long until I took that course. So for sure. Wherever or however you're listening to this podcast right now, you should take a moment and check out Stitcher. Those of you listening on Stitcher already get why. For those of you who don't know, Stitcher is a free podcast app for iPhone or Android. Stitcher is home to over 260,000 podcasts from classics like The Joe Rogan Experience, My Favorite Murderer, The Daily, Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard, and new shows such as Science Rules with Bill Nye the Science Guy. Seriously, Stitcher has a podcast for everyone. Stitcher also has smart recommendations and playlists so you can find your new favorite show and organize your current podcast favorites. Like the Rural Woman podcast. Subscribe to Stitcher Premium for bonus episodes, exclusive shows, and ad-free listening. Sign up today for only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year. Go to stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today. Use promo code RURALWOMAN for one free month. That's RURALWOMAN, R-U-R-A-L-W-O-M-A-N for one whole month for free on Stitcher Premium. So speaking of marketing, how have you been successful in marketing your products in your local area? At first, really, it was word of mouth. There were people who Ben worked with or just some local friends who at the time we were renting property from them. So, you know, part of the paycheck paying our rent was raising them a half steer. And so it was really just word of mouth at first. And then It really took off for us about two years ago. I finally started a Facebook page and Facebook, it's free marketing. Like I don't love Facebook, but I love it because it's just an easy way for me to share with our customers that are on there. Like this is what we have restocked at the grocery store, or this is when we'll be at the farmer's market. But really it took off for us when we we realized people weren't buying as many halves, holes, quarters anymore. People were looking for cuts. So we started doing these meat boxes, you know, like 20 pounds of ground beef, three roasts, whatever. We would have a different assortment, but that still wasn't moving quick enough for us. And our freezers were full. So we applied for the local farmer's market. And that's when it really took off for us. You know, whatever your farmer's market culture is, I think people who are truly passionate about their food, they want to see the person raising it, whether it's the jalapeno or the burger or the bread or, you know, the loaf of bread that's baked, like that's really, really important to them. I think it should be important to every consumer. But once we were putting our faces out there, then it really took off for us and 
people wanted to know, like, how are you raising this? They wanted to see more pictures on Facebook and Instagram. They wanted, you know, last year because we had a really bad storm blow through in it, but we were supposed to have a pasture walk. And a lot of our customers were just going to come because they wanted to see the cows. They couldn't have cared less about weed management in a pasture, but they wanted to see the cows. You know, they see us on the kids on Instagram scratching Annie on the face and they want to bring their kid and scratch Annie on the face. Like I realize that's not the reality for everyone, but that is really what's helped get our business out there and how we are raising our beef is that like person to person, face to face relationship with our customers. For sure. And I think that's so important and it's such a good thing that you guys are showing your story and sharing your story. And this helps with the multiple misconceptions there are with animal agriculture as whole. So you're able to mitigate these misconceptions online. And uh, I think it's a really good thing that you invite people to your actual farm so they can see your actual happy animals in a pasture versus looking at the propaganda videos they'll see online of how beef is raised. Yes, exactly. And I, you know, it's opened up a lot of doors for conversations with people that because of marketing, there is so much confusion in the meat world, like, you know, antibiotic free, you know, we could go down that whole like rabbit trail, but it's opened up a lot of conversations for us to explain to them, like, this is what this means. There are certain standards, like don't believe all the pictures that you see online, you know, like you see pictures of crowded feed yards and stuff like you need to just ask someone who's there like just ask somebody (laughs) ask somebody that knows some right ask somebody that knows something about it ask the farmer ask the pen rider you know like I try to direct people there's this account called our beef kitchen and he does feedlot Fridays I'm like go follow him he will show you and he will answer any question like just because they're not doing it the way we're doing it does not mean it's wrong does not mean their cattle are not happy. Like, just go ask, watch, like. Right. Amen. This is what I've been preaching. Agriculture (laughs) supports agriculture, right? Yeah. Well, that's, I'm like, you asked me about a soapbox. Like, well, I guess that's my soapbox. (laughs) 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 I think that should be everybody's soapbox in agriculture is that, you know, there is no bad people. Bonkers. No, like everyone is just doing their best and what they believe in. And we're not all doing it the same, but you know what? We need everybody. Like we are all on the same team, just different players. Yes. So (laughs) yes, there it is. That's the soapbox. (laughs) Yep. Have you been loving the rural woman podcast? Are you wondering how you can support the show? Well, friend, I'm happy to announce that I've recently joined Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, it's a membership-based platform that provides a simple way for you to contribute to the Rural Woman podcast every month and get exclusive rewards in return. Memberships start as low as $2 a month. Seriously, that's less than your grande, skinny, extra hot caramel macchiato with whip. Wondering what the rewards are? Well, they include promo codes for Shop Wild Rose Farmer, draws for the Rural Woman podcast merchandise, shoutouts on the show, and more. Your financial support of the Rural Woman podcast will help make it possible for the stories of women in agriculture to continue to be shared. 
So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to find out more information about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Do you have any plans for expansion in the future for your marketing of your beef? You know, not right now. We have discussed shipping at length and looked into it, and it's just not the time. We don't have the quantity, and we are really passionate about our local community. You know, it's like, you want to change the world? Well, make your bed type theory. Right. Like, we want our community to care about where our food comes from, then I'm going to market to my community. Like, there's a lot of great people out there that ship. That is just not our niche right now, maybe one day. What's also kind of hard is because we rent, we are limited in actual cow expansion. Like we expanded a little bit once. And what we noticed was our pastures took a beating. It was the grasses did not regrow as well as we would have liked. So we kind of scaled back because if we don't have healthy pastures, we're not going to have healthy cattle. So we can get bigger all we want, but that's really only going to bite us in the long run. Absolutely. So, you know, right now we're totally content. That is great. So Katie, I follow you over on Instagram at Beef Grow Forage. And I want to know more about the foraging aspect of your little farming operation. So okay. tell us how and why you started <laughs> foraging. And for the people who don't know what foraging even is, give us a simple explanation of that as well. Okay, so in my case, we live in the Nicolay National Forest. So it's going out in the woods and looking for things that are called wild edibles. So things that grow in the wild that you can eat and or plants that grow in the wild that you can use for medicinal purposes. This all kind of started some friends in our... Ben has always enjoyed mushroom hunting I know a lot of people that do. And so it kind of stemmed from there. And then also some other friends, they were showing me the difference in wild berries. And so it just kind of kept going from there. What other things can we eat? Like, there's a lot of things that are thought to be weeds. You know, growing up, I would see a plantain plant. And that's something that grows abundantly here in the Midwest. Now, someone in Kansas was asking me and they didn't think that they had it, but it has these large oval leaves and then eventually it'll grow these little they almost look like tiny cattails out of the middle and growing up we would always pull them out of the lawn it was a weed well plantain is actually an amazing amazing plant that grows naturally that you can use to soothe burns and bee stings we will feed some to our horses it, it kind of like soothes their guts you know horses are kind of fussy creatures so it's something that just kind of soothes their inside, keeps them from getting colicky. So it just kind of snowballed. Like, what can I find? What can I do with this? You know, we, we love trying new things. And so, and it just went from there and it becomes addicting. Like we found puffball mushrooms in our backyard where it was actually in our milk cow's pen where we found them. And I was just about to like fence off that little part. So the milk cow didn't trample on my puffball mushrooms because <laughs> priorities here, cow, like puffballs only come up for a little while. You are here a very long time. So yes, I guess that's forging in a nutshell. Do you have any tips for anyone looking to start into foraging or any resources that were helpful to you? Yes. One, 
find someone who can help you find a person that's obviously not always the case for everybody. But if you can find someone who especially knows your region, every region is so different. It's important to have someone who knows your region really well. There's a lot of plants out there that look alike and they are not the same thing and you could get really sick or die. So use caution, find someone who's well-seasoned. There's a lot of good Facebook groups out there that you can just do a search of, you know, if you're in the United States, your state or your province or whatever, and you can post pictures like, I found this. Do you know what it is? Is it edible or what can I use it for? And there's a lot of good, helpful people on there who will say like, no, don't bother or whatever. There's also a lot of good books. Off the time I had, the titles are evading me, but there's a lot of good books that you can find online that will have good pictures and descriptions that are small enough that you can carry with you while you are actually in the woods. And there's apps, you know, you have a smartphone, there's lots of apps. So I guess those are my top tips. Start small, start with one thing like mushrooms, or if you're looking for things for medicinal purposes, start with that instead of just like, what are all the things I can find in the woods? You will be completely overwhelmed and you can misidentify things. I have a friend who has been trying to get into foraging and in the early spring here in Wisconsin, you can eat. Do you know what a fiddlehead is? I have heard um, of them. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's when a fern starts growing and it's wrapped and it's really tightly wound, but there's only one that you can eat here where we live. So you have, you know, Ferns all kind of look the same. They have that similar like palm leaf branch to them, but there's only one that you can eat when it's wrapped like a fiddlehead and the other one, it will kill you. So you need to be very careful. Take your time, identify multiple times before you decide to put anything in your mouth. Because if you make that fatal mistake, there's no turning back. So use caution. Yes, for sure. A cautionary tale told by Katie. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's why I'm like, I'm listening to myself like, oh my gosh, I'm probably like, no one's ever going to do this. But in all seriousness, like, don't be stupid and just shove stuff in your mouth. Like, please ask somebody. Ask please. someone, do your research before you decide exactly. that you're going to eat this. Seriously, yes, please. <laughs> so Katie, you have mentioned multiple times through our time together about your family being self-sufficient on your farm. Mm -hmm. What was the reasoning for this? Why did you guys want to start farming to become more self-sufficient? Well, one of the reasons we're pretty far, like most rural people, all of them, actually, we're 45 minutes from town. So we call it town, the bigger town by us. We are in a smaller village, but there's limited supply there. So one of the reasons we started being more self-sufficient is just yes, trips to town. I mean, gas is expensive. I mean, we have a minivan and a truck, but it goes quick when you're going back and forth 45 minutes. So that was one reason. Another was when we started our greenhouse and gardens at the time, my stepson was living with us and he was a teenager and eating a lot oh my, moms of young boys, teenage boys, watch out. So 
I couldn't believe what this kid could put away. So, and they're skinny. It's like, what the heck? How does that work? Anyways, so that was another reason why we started gardening and trying to raise as much food as we could ourselves was, I mean, he was eating us out of house and home, like, and we wanted him to have good food to eat throughout the year. I mean, I have nothing against Doritos and chicken nuggets. Like we eat them, but you are not going to flourish and the child is not going to grow well consistently eating those. So it was just really important to us to make sure that our kids had access to vegetables and fruit all year round at a price that would fit our wallet, really. So that's really kind of what got it started, at least for the gardens aspect. Well, and then when you can add the foraging on top of that, I'm sure that also helps with eating some of those costs away, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. You know, the trade-off is time. It's a lot of time to garden. It is, granted now foraging is like a hobby. It's enjoyable. You know, it's not like we are having to do it to survive, but it's time and it's work. So that's the trade-off. You know, you have to have the time and want to put in the time. And believe me, sometimes I don't want to put in the time. So yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's just life. Oh, well, it's been so good chatting with you. I have one final question for you. And the question I like to ask all of my guests is, what is the most rewarding part for you of being a farmer? Well, I guess there's more than one thing, definitely. I mean, you know, after a busy day of work, it's laying down and just like, that was hard, but so good. You know, you crack open that chore beer and you're like, yeah, baby. That was good. (laughs) So, I mean, just knowing that what you are doing has such a bigger purpose, not that other things don't, but it just feels like working in agriculture, there's such a greater purpose. You're caring for creatures. They depend on you, you know, that it's going to feed somebody else's family. They are depending on you, even if you have no idea who they are and they have no idea who you are. The other I love seeing our kids grow up in this lifestyle. Like they just get to experience so much richness with the animals and creation that kids just don't have access to nowadays. And it's just so rewarding to see them soak it all in. Like they can prattle off facts to people that that would have never occurred to me as a child because I wasn't raised in it. And I'm just, I'm proud of them. Like, It's not easy having your kids with you all the time, but I'm so thankful that they get to absorb all of this and have this at a young age. So I would say that's rewarding. Yeah, I don't, (laughs) they are, it gives you all the warm fuzzies and it's not a Norman Rockwell picture all the time. But I mean, honestly, when you look back, even on the really, really hard, horrible days, you're like, okay, it was still a good day. Because our animals are alive, and we have learned that we can work really hard and we're resilient. So it's still a good day. It is. Every day is a good day. It is. They Even are. Even if they're hard, they're still good. <laughs> it, they are. That's the truth. Because you know what? You're better for it. You're better for it every single time. Absolutely. Katie, it has been so good getting to chat with you. I'm so happy that I got to have you on the podcast 
for my listeners who are interested in keeping contact with you after the show, where can they find you online? So on Instagram, I am Katie Pierce at Beef Grow Forage, all lowercase, no punctuation. And our business is on Facebook. It's just Pierce Family Livestock, LLC. After that, that's it. That's it. That's all. (laughs) That's about all I can handle. (laughs) (laughs) That's enough. That is enough. With all all the things on your plate, that is more than enough. (laughs) It's enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will be sure to link all of those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. Thank you. Thank you. This was really fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.